With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com and the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. And multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can hit us up on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So rookie minicamp took place This weekend here at the Giants facility, we'll go over some highlights, some takeaways from the drafted group of players, as well as the nine undrafted free agents that they added and perhaps what they could bring to the level of competition this spring, as well as into training camp. And it's always nice, Paul, to get a taste of these rookies up close and personal, right, for the first time? Without a doubt. Because you're really experiencing their acclimation process, the beginning of that. This is their first time in a professional setting, in a professional facility where they don't have to be inundated with combine issues and the draft process and so forth. And clearly there's an eclectic group of players. I think they all have very interesting ties. And the place that I want to start is related to a guest we had on last week. We Mm -hmm. had Alex Boone who is a former NFL offensive line training John Michael Schmitz, and he actually was brought up by John Michael Schmitz, so it just goes to show you the level of impact he's had, as well as Jeremiah Searles, another former NFL offensive lineman who serves as his agent. But it's not just those two. It's also Eric Gray's connection to DeMarco Murray and how he was his Oklahoma running backs coach. The point is, there's a few guys in this class that have direct ties to NFL players. So you really like the knowledge, at least, that they're bringing to the table that has helped prepare them make this transition. Well, I just got done talking to Bobby Johnson outside, the Giants offensive line coach, specifically about how helpful Alex Boone has been to John Michael Schmitz. And, And Bobby is very grateful for the tutelage that Boone has already provided before Schmitz even got onto campus. Sure. Uh, and, and you know, you talk about the different aspects of the game. And, you know, Alex was telling us uh, that he thinks that John Michael Schmitz's mentality and his smarts is probably his biggest advantage. I mean, he, he gushed about him as a player, yeah. but he really went into, boy, what separates him from other guys is that at this stage of his career as a rookie, he is so astute. 
he the under- intellect. Yes, and, and the way that he understands the schemes and the plays, and that seemed to really be like the icing on the cake. So I was just talking to Bobby about it, and I, and I said, you know, obviously Boone has, has really delved into this, and, and I, I can't think of a better uh, prep for him than to have a guy who, you know, went through all this stuff with him. I said, you must be thrilled. He's like, oh yeah, you know, we've been talking and, and I knew what he was doing with him and he knows what I want to do with him. So they're working in unison. And by the time that the Giants actually have their veteran mini camp in about a month and then their actual training camp in July, I'm getting the impression that John Michael Schmitz, uh, he's going to have a whole encyclopedia full of everything the Giants want from him. They are really in lockstep here in terms of getting him coached up as soon as possible so that he has the best chance to compete for his starting job ASAP. And he's already talked to some of the other offensive linemen in passing. Hasn't had Mm -hmm. much interaction, but they've certainly welcomed him in as he looks forward to the competition. The other thing that I chuckled at when he spoke to the media last week, if you remember... You had asked Alex Boone about how he sets the ball and directs it to the quarterback, right. and Boone's response was, you do whatever Daniel Jones wants. So they asked, the media asked the same question to right. John Michael Schmitz, and he said, listen, I'm open to whatever Daniel wants. If Daniel wants it this way, we do it this way. If Daniel wants it that way, we do it that way. And at least he has experience both ways so that he's comfortable Correct. easily making the transition. I don't think that's going to be a major problem at all. Now, here's what I did not know until Coach Johnson told me this morning. There are multiple ways to do the dead ball snap. It's not just different variations. There are. It's much like, you know, the pitcher who's got the four seam fastball, the two seam fastball, the cut fastball. No, there are actual multiple dead ball snaps or dead snaps, if you will. Depends on you, you cone the ball the same way. Okay, you do cone one end of the ball and then put the other tip into the ground, but it depends on where you put the laces. Sure. In terms of so forth. where the, are the laces straight? Are they to the right or to the or to the left? When you send the ball back, do you flick it or do you actually just loft it back? Um, so there are variations to it. And I said to him, well, w- what do you think about, you know, what John Michael Schmitz is going to do? He said, look, I haven't talked to Daniel about it. He said, you know, he's been around, but we haven't had that conversation because obviously John wants to talk to him about it. Yeah. And as of yesterday, he had not had a chance. Well, and they actually, haven't been on the Saturday, field, so. As of Saturday, he had not had a chance to talk to Daniel as to what he wanted. And the only thing I will tell you is this. Bobby Johnson made it very clear to me. John Michael Schmitz can do any of the snaps effectively. He's already seen him do it. He knows he can do it. And he said, hey, whatever him and Daniel decide they want to do, I'm okay with it. Because he clearly is capable of handling any kind of snap that there is. And that's why I think it's encouraging that it's not going to be that big of an issue it's or not, big of a deal. Not for yeah. these guys. No, not at all. I mean, I think to me the biggest concern when it comes to a new center, I don't really think it's a matter of maybe how they snap it or the spin rate. To me, it's a matter of putting it where the quarterback wants. It's right? the accuracy yeah. of the snap. Meaning you don't want him throwing it over the head of the quarterback. How many times have you seen a snap go over the head of the quarterback and now all of a sudden the quarterback needs to dive on it and you lose 10 to 15 yards well, in the blink of an eye? When you do the the standard spiral snap, if you will, what what Bobby said to me is there are a lot of guys, he goes, look, linemen aren't meant to throw footballs. Otherwise, they'd be quarterbacks, okay? So he said, first things first, with the standard snap, when you rifle that sucker back and you spiral it, it's got to come off with the right spin. And if it doesn't and you're erratic with that, it's a matter of control issues with it. 
and it's a matter of getting the proper spin and rotation on the ball so that the quarterback is comfortable in handling the ball. Of course, we're talking shotgun snap because usually that's what teams are using these days. Like 70% of the time, they're in shotgun. So that's what we're talking about. Let me make that very clear to you. And he said the thing about the, the dead ball snap is that there are two variations to it. One is that, and, and I said, well, the dead ball snap is slower, right? And he goes, no, it looks slower because the ball's not rotating. You're not getting that spin when the ball comes back, so it looks like it's slower, but it's not really slower because I, I, I wondered if that is a disadvantage, that if the ball is coming back slower, does that millisecond the defense to become, get set. Yeah. become an issue? And he said, no, no, it's not slower. That's what you need to understand. It looks like it's an optical illusion because it looks like when, when, when the guys do the sideways, when, depending upon how they, they flick it and how the uh, laces are, are, um, are put in their hand, when they send it back, they can either do it back as a knuckleball, which will literally look like it's floating back and it'll come back to the quarterback almost sideways. He said, some guys want to handle that. Others prefer a dead ball snap that just comes straight back to them anyway. And he said, it's not a matter. It doesn't go sideways. It more or less comes back straight anyway. He said, either one is fine and it doesn't change the timing of the snap at all. It's all about what your quarterback is comfortable handling. So um, in any event, that's a little bit of education on the dead ball snap a little more. I, I just thought I, I had a chance to talk to Bobby about it. I would. Yeah, well, the best parallel that I could give is because you brought up baseball. Tim Wakefield, former Red Sox right. pitcher, right, was known for his knuckleball. Charlie Huff. Correct. But notice that he had to work with a specific catcher, right, when he was in the rotation because some guys just can't handle Bigger the mitt. knuckleball, right? And everything. But that's the same thing, right, between the relationship right. between the quarterback and the center. Those are the things that you want to work on. You want to make sure that the accuracy there is the handle is there. And as long as everybody's on the same page, I don't think it's going to be an issue. And they'll have more than enough substantive time to work that out before the start of the season, too. Sure. Let's not forget about that. As far as some other takeaways, because once again, this was the first time that we got a taste of the rookie class speaking to the media outside of just through a Zoom session. So, you know, you get to know a little bit more about their personality. Mm -hmm. Two other things that I wanted to throw out. Jalen Hyatt, there's a confidence factor that he exudes. Without a doubt. Right? And I don't think it's a bad thing. No. I think he's going to let his game do the talking, but he feels very good about what he can do and what he can accomplish, Mm -hmm. regardless of the challenges that NFL teams are going to pose his way. That was one thing that I noticed. And when you look at Deontay Banks, he's the opposite end of the spectrum from Hyatt. Not saying he doesn't have confidence. He's not a talker. He's just all about get me on the field, let me play football. That's the end of the day. He doesn't want to go into details that are – Unnecessary. A man of few words. Oh, very few words. Yes. (laughs) And once again, not a bad thing, but the reason why I want to bring that up is because what do we talk about more often than not? And we get it from a lot of our callers. The whole perception is reality. Mm -hmm. I don't think perception is always reality. I disagree with that trite statement. Here's what I'll say about Banks. He's a blur, first of all. Let's not kid ourselves. He runs in the four threes. Okay, so, well, Hyatt's pretty fast, too. The yeah, last yes, he is. Yes. yes, he is. But the thing about Banks, I, I, I get the impression that Banks, who says he does like to trash talk a little bit on the field, I think he's one of those guys who's like a, 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 he's a, he's a, dual, a dual type of emotion kind of guy. I get the impression from watching his tape, you see he's ultra competitive on Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he gets after it. When you talk to him off the field, not only is he reserved and a man of few words, but he almost seems like uh, 
just happy-go-lucky and like um, very laid back. Yes, yeah, a very different personality. Very, very, very yeah. laid back, and that could be misconstrued. That's my point. No question. I absolutely concur with you, but you don't see that on tape. He's aggressive 100%. on tape. Yep, and he hits, and he comes up and runs support, and he's very physical when it comes time to play the game. So I think that that was an interesting dynamic that we've been able to, to notice. The other item I want to give you, uh, and you mentioned Hyatt's confidence. There's no doubt he he's a real fire plug. You could see it. He he almost has a running backs mentality. Like, you know what? Yeah, that nobody's going to stand in my way. I and... want the ball, and I'm prepared to run over whoever I have to run over to get to the end zone. That's what it sounds like out of him. But the other comment that I wanted to give you folks is that, you know, I've compared Eric Gray in a lot of ways to Ahmad Bradshaw. Bradshaw had a second gear where he would hit that afterburner and he could take off on a 50-yard or 60-yarder. Gray's probably going to get caught after 25 or 30 yards. He doesn't have that second gear, that second afterburner. Now, the funny part about it is both of them timed in the four sixes when they were at the combine. So they both play faster than their time might indicate, but Bradshaw played a lot faster than his time. Gray doesn't necessarily do that. But the thing that I noticed about Gray that didn't show up on the tape because you're wearing all kinds of gear and padding, When we got to see Gray out here in person, this dude has thighs, man. Holy smokes. And you need him. And same thing with, you remember Bradshaw had huge, big, huge, (laughs) thick thighs. Now, Saquon's got, you know, we talk about all the the calf, the the lower leg. He's got the thighs. We all talk about the thighs. But he's also got the big calf muscles. His lower body, I mean, Saquon's cut out of rock. All right? But Bradshaw had very thick thighs for a guy his size and his stature. Same thing with Eric Gray, which is proven time and time again when you look at the tape at how well he keeps his legs churning, how he runs very tough and physical and hard between the tackles and does not, does not like to go down on first contact. He is a guy who was going to continue to churn and churn and churn, and he will move the chains. I was very much surprised and and impressed when when I saw him in shorts and I was wow look at those thighs he really is Bradshaw isn't he? Well, that's why I brought up earlier in the show the connection to Demarco Murray, just like we were mm-hmm. talking about the value of Boone and Searles to John Michael Schmitz, because there was an interesting question when Gray met with the media. He was asked about ranking the importance of these four different features yes. when it comes to a running back. I thought it was interesting. Vision, footwork, speed, and balance. And he said vision, footwork, speed, balance. That's In how that we order. Them. In that order. But when I heard that response, what popped into my head, Paul, was that's DeMarco Murray. If you remember, when DeMarco Murray mm-hmm. played in the NFL, DeMarco wasn't a speedster. No. DeMarco, I would say, was a very patient runner. He'd wait for the hole to develop, and once he hit it, boom, he was taken off, and nobody was slowing him down, and it would take some firepower to bring him down. So the reason I'm bringing that up is don't overlook the impact of the individual coaches that they've been around on the collegiate level and how that has helped shame and formulate their game. Well, Gray went as far as to say, when asked about what did Murray specifically do to prepare you for the NFL, he, he was very emphatic. Preparation. Yep. Preparation. And make sure that you got all your details down. Studying the defense. And that you were all in in your preparation before you get out onto the field. And I think that 
is a very significant influence. And you don't see that with draft classes. They don't always have the luxury of learning from NFL-caliber players. Right. And that's why this is unique. And the only other thing that I'll add is the three other players that we didn't bring up all have junior college backgrounds. That's their three ladder picks. And you could tell that's really, I think, giving them some good perspective of the journey that it took mm-hmm. for them to get here. I mean, Jordan Riley was at a variety of different programs. You know, Trey Hawkins was at Old Dominion, which is a program that started back up in 2007. They don't have a rich history of producing college teams. Forget NFL talent. And you look at Owens out of Houston, also I think a player like Hawkins who's embraced the value of special teams. So once again, it was just interesting to hear from them up close and personal for the One first time. One other item I should, uh, I should bring to the forefront. I believe Jordan Wiley, the defensive tackle out of Oregon, uh, was measured in at either his pro day or at the combine. I think it was his pro day at 338. He told us the other day. 326 or something? Yeah. Yeah. And that and that he is very comfortable playing in the 320s, and that's what he is now. Uh, that was a little surprising. Now, I didn't get a chance to talk to him privately about it, but he measured in. I think it was it was either combine or pro day. I'm sure Brugler has it in his I book. Look it up. Yeah. He was measured at 338. You don't usually see that happen very often, that a guy will come down, you know, what, 10, 15 pounds by the time he gets into rookie camp. On the other hand, Hyatt's going up. Yeah, well, because he's looking to do the opposite. Right. He played in the 170s, came came in on this pro day at like 183 or something, and now says he wants to play at 190, which I think is incredibly important for him. You guys know about me and smaller receivers. I think putting a little meat on his bones is going to make him more sturdy. Well, especially I think in that's press key. coverage. Without a doubt. Yeah. You know, to be able to get off at the line of scrimmage, that's going to be a very big deal because pro corners are going to test him and physically jam him and do everything they can to prevent his speed. So, I mean, yeah, I just I was I was surprised when Riley said that because usually those big wide body guys, they're not so much interested in losing weight. Well, and also when you look at him without the pads on, he doesn't look like a wide guy. No, with the pads he does. No, but I'm saying but without was, the pads, when he was at the podium, he was he without did, the pads. Yeah, and yeah. he did not look at Neil. And that's why when they when he said he was in the 320s or so, I was like, okay, I could see that because you look a lot thinner than the 338 that they listed you at. Yeah, I. If memory was serves, was it the correct, pro day? Was it the pro day? He was 338. I think I'm trying to confirm that, but if I recall, believe it or not, I don't think Brugler had him as one of his breakdown players. Oh, he wasn't? Yeah, that's why I'm looking for him on the laundry list of guys, you know, after the top 30 or 35 that he ranks. So that's what what I'm looking to confirm. But we'll get those numbers out to confirm some of our initial details as we move forward here on BBKL. Lance Metal, Paul DeTito with you. We're recapping some of our takeaways from rookie minicamp. I also want to get into the undrafted free agents. Pro day. Pro day. Okay, so you confirmed it. 338 confirmed. Oregon pro day, 338 pounds. Well, there you go. So we're talking about had one heck of a smorgasbord before he went out to work out. <laughs> well, slashed about 12 pounds off too. But that's good that, you know, he also has the flexibility to play in the 330s and also play at the 320s. You know, there's some guys, Paul, you give them some extra weight, they're not nearly as effective as they were 10 pounds ago. Very true. So that, to me, I think is at least encouraging that 
he's at least able to test the parameters with respect to the early stages of his career. Hey guys, it's Rich Davis from Covino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance or any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew could stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you could sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Let's open up the lines. We got Cliff in New York joining us here on BBKO. What's happening, Cliff? What do you got for us? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the call. Hi. Um, yeah. So um, i got a couple of things, uh, my takeaways uh, from, from these rookies um, and, uh, and a comment about Saquon, a question. And it all relates to, like, where we are in the whole project, you know, like how far away are we from the next Super Bowl. Um, the, um, the, the, before we even had the draft, and and he went through this this incredible free agent season again, Joe Shane. I was thinking that special teams are really looking like, hey, maybe we can really take a leap forward this year. And we have a coach that's highly regarded. You guys have been clear on that on this show for special teams. And uh, when this Thomas McGakey, yes, go ahead. Right, right, right. And and when these guys took over, they retained him from the yes. last regime. Yep. And and uh, that said a lot. Uh, along with uh, Henderson for the DBs, mm-hmm. and and so uh, I was already thinking special teams. Now after the draft, <laughs> I'm thinking, hey, do we have a chance to really make a leap forward in special teams this year? And and the thing about Saquon, uh, I was struck by the comment that his Penn State friend made, the guy who plays for Dallas now, rushing the passer, Micah Parsons, uh, right. Um, uh, when he said when they prepare for the Giants, he was showing support for the contract in a tweet. And he says, well, when, when, when we play the Giants on Monday, we sit down and we say, what are we going to do about Saquon? And that sounded like, you know, a nice boost. But it, I, it struck me as like, yeah, all you had to do was prepare for Saquon. You he's know. a headache player. Sure. He's a, he's a weapon. <laughs> right. He's their offensive weapon, especially last season when you look at that roster. Sure. Right, right, exactly. But that, as a compliment that he richly deserves, it's also like, well, if you, it wasn't, it was more than the old Belichick thing about don't let so-and-so beat you. This was like, if you really could take away Saquon, you know, how much of a chance did we have? And and so the it seems like his future, whatever they they negotiate, d- does he have to um, not be that important for us to to really move forward and and be the you know as dependent as we were on him? So those are the two things I'm looking at in, in the general scheme of where we are uh, in the uh, in the in the project because here in Van Gundy on the basketball games reminds me that he. He once taught us that there were five stages, and I can't remember them, going from a bad team to a Super Bowl team. 
And I wonder if there's an equivalent in the NFL and and um, uh, where we are in that. Well, team. what were those five stages that you're referencing, just so that we have? Well, a that's context. what I can't remember. You know, oh, okay. I, I just remember there there was there well, was Van more Gundy than, did it. Would have been a basketball team. It wouldn't have been. No, a of Super course. Bowl. Well, no, I understand that, but he's saying that Van Gundy referenced that. So oh. I was curious what Van Gundy referenced because I don't remember hearing. I don't remember hearing talk about either. that. Yeah. All right. Well, Cliff, yeah, we'll, we'll, well definitely. He, he, yeah. Well, it, it, the, the point was is that there were more stages than you thought. Sure. Between a bad team to a Super Bowl team. Yeah, okay, Cliff. Well, uh, appreciate the phone call. I mean, the first thing that I'll respond to is with respect to what Micah Parsons had to say. I mean, clearly there's validity behind that. I think if you ask most teams that went up against the Giants, and we talk about this right on the show every single week, who do you need to worry about? Saquon Barkley was at the top of the list, so that's not stunning news. With respect to the caller's point about do things change this year going up against the Giants? Sure. I mean, you got Darren Waller now on the field, Jalen Hyatt's speed. So if you ask opposing teams, what do they need to focus on? The answer is not just going to automatically be Saquon Barkley, Paul, right? They're going to have to worry about, do we double this guy? But that doesn't mean that Saquon wouldn't have value, though, within the offense. That I wouldn't go so far to say. No, look, the more headache players that you can put in front of the other team's coordinators, the better you're going to be. Yeah, give them something to think about. Okay? Waller is a headache player. I know he's been hurt the last couple of years, but I consider him a headache player. Well, we're under the assumption of full health okay. when we're talking about this. And and whether or not you know anybody else is in that receiving core, that remains to be seen. I'm not going to jump to conclusions Time will tell. and immediately put Campbell there or Hyatt there. I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to kind of hold my water a little bit, and I'm going to say the Giants right now have two headache players on offense, Barkley and Waller. Now... Steve Serby of the New York Post over the weekend had his always Q&A. You guys are very familiar with that. He does a Q&A column where he just fires off rapid-fire questions against a sports figure. Well, this past weekend, he had Mike Kafka and Wink Martindale in his Q&A session. And I thought it was very interesting. He said, whatever comes to mind, Darren Waller, Kafka, one word, explosive. Paris Campbell, Kafka responds, one word, explosive. Jalen Hyatt. Kafka responds, explosive. Well, that was the goal this offseason, <laughs> to add more explosive weapons. <laughs> so so you know where Kafka is coming from, and it's quite clear that the Giants are trying to create as many problems as they possibly can for the other team's defensive coordinator. They want to get as many headache players on the field as they possibly can. It remains to be seen if Campbell or Hyatt can truly become headache players. I don't know the answer to that right now, but I know this. The Giants would love for at least one of those guys to be because then that would give them three. And when you put three headache players on the field, it causes coordinators to have absolute fits on the other side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, it's no different than when no you talk about the defense, right? The offense has no to brain. prepare for the defense. If you have a pass rusher, a run stopper, a safety, a good cover corner, there's four or five guys that you need to think about. So, I mean, that to me is just the nature of the beast when it comes to the NFL. You're always looking for high-volume weaponry, but... The Giants are not listening to Micah Parsons' assessment of Saquon Barkley to no. determine what type of contract <laughs> no, they should give not. him. I can assure you that. <laughs> they understand who Saquon is, but you know Joe Shane was even asked about this, I think, when he spoke to Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. It's got to make sense for both sides. That's what the name of the game is right now, and they have to try to fit it in with their future plans because if you give a player a contract, just like when they worked out the new deal with Dexter Lawrence. It's not about how he fits into the equation in 2023. It's how you line it up for the years moving forward so that you can squeeze in other potential maybe free agent targets and also knowing that 
guys like McKinney who are down the road are going to mm-hmm. be earning new contracts as well. You see, I look at the Giants' backfield right now, and I know how much they value Eric Gray selection. They are very, very happy with being able to make that pick in the fifth round. I really believe that the Giants have now given themselves a fork in the road. They can very easily continue to use Saquon as a bell cow for the next two to three years or whatever it is, if they can reach a multi-year deal. Or if it doesn't work out that way, and let's say Saquon plays on the one-year tag and he's a one-and-done for whatever the reason may be, I think they're very, very hopeful and optimistic that Gray can be much like Bradshaw was and be the lead guy in a 1-2 or a 1-2-3 punch. Remember, when Bradshaw was here, he had Jacobs with him, and for a while he also had Derek Ward Ward, with him. And so the Giants have proven that they can win with either kind of running backs room. They don't need a bell cow, but if they have one, great. But they can also go with a one-two punch if they want to. And I think they believe that Gray gives them that opportunity should they meet that fork in the road. Well, plus, look at where Brian Dable and Mike Kafka came from. They came from two teams where they didn't really have a workhorse. Kansas City used a bunch of backs. Buffalo, the same thing with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss before he was sent to Indianapolis. So I don't think it's even out of comfort for the coaching staff. And don't forget, Gray is a threat coming out of the backfield. Now, he's not necessarily the speed burner. Okay, so you're not going to put him outside probably on the boundary in motion or throwing him in an empty backfield in the slot or anything like that. That you probably won't do because he doesn't have great speed. But what he does have is a very large set of hands, especially for a man his size. And he catches the ball extremely well. So you will have the opportunity to use that part of your playbook if he winds up becoming your lead back at some point down the road. And you have Brightwell and Breida as your complementary backs under those circumstances. But, you know, once again, even if Saquon only plays under the tag... I don't think that then even changes the Giants' game plan because Barkley could still be the workhorse. You can move Gray along no slowly, question. and then you worry about whatever happens beyond Absolutely. this season. Maybe you get a new deal done. Maybe you tag him again. There's so many different options that are at their disposal. That's why it goes back to the conversations you and I had. Whether Barkley gets a long-term deal or not, he still is a huge component of the Without rushing attack doubt. this season. Totally. Totally. But there is a level of protection, much like when they drafted Deontay Banks— there's a level of protection now if Adoree Jackson leaves at the end of the season. Yeah, that you have the next they've guy They've got to a potential cornerback one who could step in there. And the Giants now have a potential lead running back who could step into the role should the need occur. Yeah, but, you know, it goes back to, I think, the point that you were scratching the surface of, which is in today's NFL lead back is a term that's used so loosely because so many teams Mm -hmm. have two backs that are interchangeable. Yes, there are a few exceptions. I get that. But most teams, they alternate possessions, right, Paul? First possession, you bring in one guy. Second possession, you bring in the other running back because they want to keep these guys fresh. And there's a lot of teams that have really good rushing attacks, even though they rely on only two players. So it can be done. It's not... A must, I guess, what I'm getting at is in today's NFL, you have to have a guy that could get 25 touches, whether it be between receptions or carries, is what I'm referring to. What is a must, and I've insisted this for decades, and I will never stop insisting this, forget about these people who can just continue to say it's a passing league, it's video game offenses. No, no. When you look at the majority of playoff teams year in and year out, 
The tide is absolutely switched in the last few years. You've got to be able to have a functional rushing attack. You need to be able to run the ball when you want to. And it doesn't matter if you have one, two, or three running backs in your stable. You need to be able to run the ball if you anticipate being a contender. That's never going to change in this league, folks. I'm sorry. Well, there are two areas to piggyback off of your point. You need to be able to run the ball effectively in the red zone and finish drives. That, to me, is a must. That goes without saying. Well, but sometimes it can get overlooked because, you know, you look at a team like Kansas City with all the movement down the backfield. If you can run the ball anywhere, you could usually run it in the red zone. Usually. Well, what I'm getting at is my next part of the equation is small yardage situations. Third and ones, Mm -hmm. fourth and ones. You have to be able to be effective because you're not going to be able to say, we're just going to go for the home run on those short downs when all it takes is move the pile forward slightly and get an extra set of downs. So those are the two facets, Paul, to me. In today's NFL, tomorrow's NFL, the NFL 30 years down the road. You need to be able to run the ball in those two circles. You know how I feel. Nothing makes me more angry than on Sunday afternoon watching an offense line up on third and three, empty backfield, five guys wide. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, th- this is this is such a a a an aggravating point for me when I see that because I know, I know what's going to get the job done. If you have any confidence at all, and of course you have to have the horses to do it. If you don't have the horses, I understand. The personnel. A lot of teams are forced to go empty backfield with, with five wide on third and three because they can't run the ball. They simply don't have the horses to do it. Yeah, they don't and have for big several years, or whatever it may be. The Giants didn't have the line to do it either. Not only didn't they have the running backs, they didn't have the line. Okay? But now that they do, you know what? Go get the three yards. All right? Don't worry about empty backfield. Well, I would say in recent history, the Giants, they had the running backs. The problem is the push didn't provide them to convert in those small yardage red zone situations. And that's why you saw a difference this year, right? They were able to run the ball better in the red zone. Yeah, no question. And that translated to finishing drives, which is why it's so key, whether we're talking about Saquon Barkley or anybody else. A few reminders before we carry on the conversation here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Giants Huddle Podcast, you can check that out on Giants.com slash podcasts, your favorite podcast platforms, bunch of interesting interviews within that format. Giants fans, take your fandom to the next level with a season ticket membership. Stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships, they're now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And the Giants official connected TV streaming app. It's Giants TV. It brings you original video content, game highlights on demand, and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and the Giants mobile app. So the Giants made a number of transactions at the tail end of last week. They had yes. nine undrafted free agents. And I don't know if it was brought up at the tail end of last week, but as a result of that, and we said, keep in mind, the roster is going to be fluid from this point moving forward. <laughs> so as you add more personnel, you have to sacrifice players. And they wound up having to cut ties with defensive back Terrell Burgess as well as offensive lineman Solomon Kinley. And just be prepared. That's going to happen moving forward. There's Mm -hmm. going to be tryouts. There's going to be veterans that are going to be cut from other teams that maybe the Giants have interest in bringing in. So it's a very fluid situation. But the nine undrafted free agents were in-house with the rookies. And they brought in a diverse group, Paul, with respect to different positions. I know we always like to point to, you know, maybe a dark horse or a guy that's going to wind up, not necessarily making the roster, but maybe making enough noise or has an opportunity to do some damage. I have one guy in mind. 
I don't know if you have well, one player. Well, the team already put a guy in everybody's mind by giving him a supposedly a reported Correct. 200 and something thousand dollar guarantee. But that, that wasn't be... the direction I was going to go. But okay, go ahead. but you, yeah. you understand. No, no, I know. When, sure. when a team puts up that kind of collateral uh, and that kind of money, in a guaranteed situation, well, Bryce Ford Wheaton, the wide receiver out of West Virginia, is certainly going to immediately pop up on everybody's radar. And I understand that. And we received already plenty of phone calls on the show and because by the of way, that. He is a specimen. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt about it. I oh mean, boy, six what six, six four, four two twenty one, yeah. I believe. And I was standing next to him on the patio uh, just the other day. Uh, he's he's built. I mean, he is flat out built. He um, he's quite quite an impressive figure out there. Well, I could understand why he's going to win a lot of battles against defensive backs. He was known for his jump balls at West Virginia. I mean, that's how he made so a name was. for himself. Yeah, the connection with uh, David Sills was very important. He said him and Sills were, were best buds, and Sills certainly was one of the reasons why he decided to sign with the Giants. He thought he was going to get drafted as high as the fifth round, I believe. Well, projection wise, he was expected you know, to be selected. He should have been a late third. Look at most pick. people. You yep. know, should have been. But even he admits he is not a complete player. He's got to do better on, on his routes. He's got to do better in terms of his physicality, certainly getting off the line of scrimmage. And to be honest with you, um, you know, I've, I've seen enough of scouting reports that also indicate drops these issues. So, you know, he's got to clean some stuff up. There's no doubt about that. But the Giants must feel enough confidence in his projection that they were willing to uh, fork over some money. Well, speaking of projection, the other player I was going to bring up, and this has nothing to do with money, contract analysis, or whatever it may be. This is just pure okay. X's and O's. Is Haba Baldonado, the pass rusher Pittsburgh. out of Pittsburgh? He's intriguing to me. I look Paul. at him as more of a run stopper than I do a pass rusher. Okay. Well, he did have the nine sacks two I seasons know. ago. So we've seen the flashes. That's why it's intriguing. I'm not saying that he's a finished product, and I'm not saying that he's getting nine sacks in his first season, assuming mm-hmm. he makes the team. But he's got. The skill set. And, Paul, here's the other thing. He's raw. He's not been playing football very long. He came from Rome, Italy. So he loved football from watching it overseas. You know, it's interesting to find out how he got to Pittsburgh. One of the reasons why he chose Pittsburgh was they have direct flights from the airport to go back to Italy. It's a good reason. Sure. Good reason. Absolutely. No, but if I like that airport, by the way. Well, if you didn't back it up, then we don't know whether or not it's it not very busy, but forward. it's very nice. Well, as long as it takes care of you, your high maintenance <laughs> needs are the biggest priority on this program. But I digress and get back to the point at hand. It was interesting. I was doing a little bit more research about how he even got to Pittsburgh. And one of their assistants was telling a story at the last second during the recruiting period. He gets a text message from an individual he knows who sends the highlight reel of Baldonado to his phone. And he saw this raw kid in high school who, you know, was all over the place. Within five minutes, they sent a coach down to Florida, I believe, was where he was playing. And then they wound up Mm -hmm. all of a sudden going after him. So you put that together. He's dealt with some injuries in college. But when healthy, he's shown that he could be a very active player. So dark horse candidate, I'll throw Baldonado out there. Well, I think the Giants right now are are very thick on the defensive line. They are. So I would say this. I agree with you. I think there's certainly a lot of interest in him. I would not at all be surprised if he made the 53. I do think, though, there are a lot of guys in front of him right now. True. And, for example, a guy like Ryan uh, Ryder Anderson. Anderson, Who also is an undrafted guy, by the way. Ryder Anderson has put on some some bulk. Okay? I don't know if you got a chance to see him uh, recently. 
but he has he has added some some upper body strength and some thickness to himself. So he's a much sturdier player. I think Anderson did that out of instruction. I don't know. I haven't talked to him per se, but I've seen him. And I'm sure that's because they want to be able to have flexibility with him along the defensive front. So that, you know what? If you got to be an edge guy, you can be an edge guy. You don't necessarily have to be a pass rusher. You could also be a run stopper on the edge. And oh, by the way, maybe you could also play some defensive tackle for us because now that you've added some more physicality, you might be able to hold up in there if we need you. So I think Ryder Anderson did himself a huge favor by adding some upper body strength to his frame so that he can become more versatile. And if if Baldonado's got to fight him for a spot, he's in for a big challenge. Well, it's interesting you brought up the depth chart. See, I would point out, I think they have more substance on the interior of the defensive line than necessarily mm-hmm. off the edge. Because you're talking about Ryder Anderson and Leonard Williams, who could be lined up as a defensive end. But all of these other players, DJ Davidson coming back from injury, Jordan Riley, Ashawn Robinson, Raheem Nunez-Rochez, all of those guys are more interior players. Now, right. do you want to include Tamon Fox in the conversation of edge guys? More of a linebacker as opposed See, to a defensive See, for me, end? Baldonado does not play with his with his uh, with a stand up two point stance. He's a down in the dirt guy. No, and I'm he's with a you defensive there. end, sure. not an edge guy. An edge guy is going to stand up more. I got you. He's going to be down in the dirt. Now, I agree with you in that there are fewer guys. Uh, who would play the, quote, defensive end spot. And there are defensive tackles. I agree with that. But they signed Nacho. They signed um, uh, Robinson. Yep. Okay. So two veterans. I got to believe they're both making the 53. I would say there's a very good chance. don't, right? Um, DJ Davidson was here last year, landed on the injured list, but I know they really like him. Ryder Anderson has now bulked up to enhance his flexibility. So, I mean... We're starting to count up a lot of guys oh, we here. Are. Yeah. So Baldonado to get onto the fifty-three is is going to have to really squeeze himself in there. Considering, right? We already know there's going to be quite a logjam in the secondary. There's probably going to be a logjam at wide receiver. There's probably going to be a logjam at tight end. They got to figure out how many and who they're going to keep there. I mean, at some point in time, somebody's going to get left off. Well, and that's why it's going to be a numbers game at just about every single position. But practice squad guys have been boosted. No doubt. During the course of the regular season. And I think he's for sure a practice squad guy. I'd be very surprised if he's out of the building. Well, because he seems like a player, once again, that you want to get your hands on him. You want to be able to work with him, mold him further, so that maybe if the opportunity is not there at the beginning of the season, the opportunity could be there mid-season or Mm -hmm. down the road. And. In today's NFL, the beauty of the practice squad, and ever since they expanded it, which Thank goodness. was fantastic, right? It actually gives you a chance to develop players now. Where you don't have to worry about, oh, we don't have room on the 53. We can't store this guy. What are we going to do? No, you can actually store somebody, keeping them on the practice squad. Clearly, there's always a risk. Somebody could take them away. and They have to add them to their own 53-man roster. But I think you increase the chances in-house of at least having the promise to work with that player. I am so glad you used that word development because in talking to somebody upstairs about the latter day three picks this year, and I was discussing with them some of the traits and about, hey, at the very least, those two defensive backs should be able to help you on special teams. And that may be their best case scenario to make the team. And he said, yeah, but you know what? 
don't sell the potential development of those guys short. And I said, I know what you're saying because you guys have so much belief and faith in this coaching staff. After all, look what this coaching staff did with last year's secondary and last year's wide receivers. And that's the key. I think you can afford the luxury of taking developmental guys like that when you know you've got the kind of coaching staff that can actually coach them up. Now, again, nothing against anybody, no disrespect meant, but there are some coaching staffs that don't necessarily bring out the above and beyond with certain prospects. And when you know you can do that because your guys have the ability to get all the juice out of that orange, it makes you more apt to take a developmental player like that. Sure, yeah, but it's still a numbers game, I guess is my point, about keeping them on the 53-man roster. Now, the few guys that you brought up, when you draft a player, there's clearly much more of an incentive to keep them on the 53-man roster and a belief that they can contribute both to their respective position as well as on special teams. So guys like Hawkins and Owens, who you were referencing, assuming they make the 53-man roster, I think that the coaching staff has faith that we're not just keeping them on so they could be a special teams contributor. We believe that we can work them up as perhaps somebody in the defensive well, backfield as well. Even if it comes along down the road. Sure, yeah, but you know, there's at least that strong there's, feeling. There's that a exists. feeling that there's a chance. Yeah. And, and, and quite frankly, again, if the reports about Ford Wheaton getting over $200,000 guaranteed as a wide receiver, think about that. If he winds up on the practice squad, and believe me, there are a lot of veterans ahead of him. They're not going to be too anxious to give up their spots. Sure. Think about this. Mike Groh, who did a marvelous job with the wide receivers on this team last year. He's still here. Mike Mike Groh's going to have a chance to work with this kid. You must believe in your heart of hearts that there's enough there that Mike Groh's going to bring out that at some point in time, even if it's later on in the season or even next year, that this kid's going to have a chance to actually produce for you because you know Mike will bring out the best in him. Well, and that was a huge storyline last season. What we're discussing is the Giants are not in the position where they finished last year if it wasn't developing the back end of the roster because of the injuries that they had to deal with. What a staff. I mean, Isaiah Hodgins is probably one of the best stories to come out of the 2022 Giants campaign. And, oh, by the way, he wasn't even here for the first half of the year. Now, granted, you could argue, well, Brian Dable and company helped develop him in Buffalo. And Joe Shane saw that up close and personal. So you could give them credit for that, right? They did have their hands on Isaiah Hodgins. But he's coming in, middle of the year, new scheme, even if he had some familiarity, new quarterback, new players, and the level of impact that he had. You know, where are the Giants without Isaiah Hodgins? I truly believe that Isaiah Hodgins was the most amazing Come out of nowhere story of the second half of the NFL season. Never mind just the Giants. You can make a strong case of that. I mean, he was incredibly instrumental in their playoff run. But once again, it goes beyond Isaiah Hodgins, and that's the point of the conversation. For example, Richie James, and I understand he had some hiccups on special teams, but let's not overlook Richie James came through with a number of big plays as a wide receiver. Very productive. Okay, let's not dismiss that. And here's the other thing. Richie James was not in every down lethal weapon at the receiver position when he was with San Francisco. So the Giants expanded his role last season. Sure they did. Now, they could have went outside and said, yeah, Richie, you're going to be more of a special teams guy. If we want to call your number, we'll call your number. But, you know, they stuck with him. 
and he was able to capitalize. So I would throw him into the conversation as much as I would with Isaiah Hodgins. And whatever you feel about Darius Slayton's poor start, and obviously he was buried on the depth chart, well, look how he developed over the course of the season as Mike Groh was able to get his clutches into him yep. and continue to work with him over the course of time. All of a sudden, Darius Slayton became uh, an important part of the offense again. And I have to believe that Mike Groh had something to do with that. That's fair. I mean, Darius, we saw contribute his rookie year. So we had seen that. Yeah, but then he faded away. But you're right. He was taken out of the rotation. And he he came was back reinserted. And he took advantage. Hey, guys. LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton tundra. Workhorse by nature. Powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Yeah, absolutely. And then let's advance this to the secondary, which is where you began the conversation. No doubt. Nick McLeod, for example. Remember the Packers game, Paul? That's the game that I love to use as an example. (laughs) You're going up against Aaron Rodgers, and you had some guys that were banged up in the secondary, and Aaron is throwing the ball everywhere, and all of a sudden these defensive backs are thrown right into the fire, and they're getting their hands on balls, passes Mm -hmm. defensed, Guys like Nick McLeod, once again, somebody that was shifted in and out, and when you needed to rely on him, he came through. I mean, Darnay Holmes, who's still a relatively young player at that time last year, he also made plays here or there. Jason Pinnock, who they brought over from the Jets, how many times was he thrust into a situation in the secondary? And once again, I'm not saying that these guys don't have talent. I don't want to poo-poo on them. What I'm saying is where they came from. They were not coming in and saying, oh, this guy has 15 starts at safety or he has The key word is expectation. At corner. Correct, yeah. You're bringing him in, insurance policy, complimentary weapon. If we need you, we'll call you. You'll help on on special teams. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you're not just being asked to help here or there for a play or two. You're now, all of a sudden, every down player on the defensive side. The Giants suddenly found out as the season was wearing on that they actually had real depth that they didn't realize they probably had a couple of months earlier. Yeah, and that does wonders to salvage a season. There are so many stories across the NFL landscape where salvages key guys get hurt. the season, but it also helps you build toward next year because now a whole bunch of these players who were able to produce and show the Giants on tape that they actually have the ability to do certain things just enhances their chances now going forward as they either decide, well, you know what? You've proven that, so now you get to stay. Or you've proven that, let's take it up a notch. Sure. And also, when we take it up a notch, you can continue to be a placeholder until we find a younger guy that maybe is more in our plans for the future. That, I also think, is part of the process. If you can wind up going out and getting somebody who's going to improve on them, sure. But in the meantime, 
you know, and again, that's worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is you're a placeholder, you're functional, we like what you're doing, but we'd love to upgrade in the future. That's the worst case scenario. Best case scenario is, wow, we actually turned that piece of coal into a diamond. <laughs> We're keeping you. You're going to be a big part of what we want to do. And once again, even if they do continue to exceed expectations, even if you bring in somebody who's an upgrade in talent, you could still hold on to them and they could be that key depth piece. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't have as prominent a role on defense. They don't have as many snaps. So once again, you're still helping your depth chart. Whether they start or not, they're still on your roster and they're functional and they have familiarity with your scheme. You have to have 53. Remember that. Well, you could argue you may have to have more than 53, <laughs> Paul. This is true. I mean, keep in mind, if we're, the whole conversation is beyond 53 <laughs> yes. we're talking about. Yes, it is. Yes, we're, it is. We're in the 57 to 59 territory. Uh, might be in, in the 63 Maybe range, in the 60s to be as honest. Well. Yeah, based on how this conversation is going. But this is... Everybody's got to help. All hands on deck. And it was for the Giants last year. It really was. That's the story once again. I keep pointing to that. All those close games that came down to the wire where if the ball doesn't bounce your way, you know, I bring up, not to get off topic, but you've heard me talk about this. Everybody continues to reference the 2016 season before they ultimately made the playoffs last mm -hmm. year, right? And that year, they were a double-digit winning team, but they had to settle for a wild card because it was a deep NFC East. And even if you go back to 2016, and it's similar with the way that you view last season, that wasn't a dominant playoff team. No. That and it was, was an team. older team, too. Correct. Different dynamics. You were building that more through free agency. Yes. Remember, that was the year they made the big splash. Correct. And that put them, obviously, in a precarious spot in the salary cap. But if you go back and you look at those games, and I remember just about all those games like it was yesterday, they were winning those games by the chinny-chin-chin. Chin, okay? It was a play <laughs> here, a play there. Eli was great, man. Yeah, but— The comeback victories in the fourth quarter, he was sensational. But the bottom line is, Paul, you don't get one of those plays. We're probably not talking about the record being the same right. way. There are teams— You're and, right. Once again, in the NFL, the separation between teams is small. Okay, it's mm -hmm. minute. That's been well documented. But even with that being valid, there are still teams that have a respectable record, but they're not a juggernaut. They're not going in every single week and just rolling over the opposition. Right. That 2016 team was not rolling over anybody. No. Okay? If anything, they were outwitting and finessing the opposition. Like, for example, that Bengals game that year, I don't know if you remember that mm -hmm. game at MetLife Stadium. Mm -hmm. There was a play at the end when Rashad Jennings yes. ran up the gut, right? He picked up a first down, game over. Mm -hmm. He doesn't pick up the first down, Paul. Maybe Cincinnati gets another possession here. Who knows how that game ends? And I could give you I, a boatload of other examples. No, I know you were here for that season, so I'm not trying to convince you, okay? I'm just <laughs> talking about it within the context of the conversation. Last season had the feel of that. And the reason I'm bringing that up is— and. Not to say that the front office doesn't understand that. I think they have great perspective. But this is why, how many times have we had this dialogue on this show? You don't just pick up where you left off the previous year. That's right. not how the NFL works. So I go back, and I want to bring this conversation full circle because our caller had brought up Jeff Van Gundy and the five things you need to get to the team okay. to be Super Bowl worthy. Or, you know, we're talking about special teams even if your special teams was fantastic the previous season, you don't just add two or three players and say, okay, we're going to pick up where we left off. If your defense was great at stopping the run last year, you don't add one more run stopper and you say, okay, they're going to finish exactly in the same ranking that they did the previous year. Mm -hmm. That's important to understand, and that's why when you start to reconstruct your roster the following season, 
you feel good about the core maybe still being together, but I think, as you said, you still want to pull out more from even the guys that were on the roster the previous season. Don't look at it as, oh, well, he's a finished product because we got X amount of tackles out of him. No, maybe you get even more out of him so that this way if somebody else falls off, there is the balance of equilibrium. I Squeeze guess the I'm orange. Still out of play. Get yeah. more juice if you can. Look, the Giants signed 11 free agents before the draft. They drafted seven rookies. Now, again, we don't know if all seven are going to be on the 53 of or course. not. Yeah. But, but the volume is there. But that's 18 players. They traded for Darren Waller. That's 19 players, potentially, who have at least a realistic chance of making the 53. Think about that. 19 out of 53. That's more than a third of the roster. That's a high turnover rate. Just out of the guys that they've signed, drafted, and traded for. That's more than a third of the roster already, right out of the get-go, has a legit possibility of being overturned. So do you pick up where you left off? Not necessarily. Well, and that's why I think it's a reminder within the context of this conversation. But the goal is maybe at this time compared to at this time last year is where you were with respect to the level of competition, Paul, at various positions. That, to me, is the key focus here. You look at an additional draft class came in. Remember, that was the first go-around for Joe Shane. Mm -hmm. Brand-new general manager, his first draft. Okay, so now he brings in another group of prospects working in conjunction with the coaching staff, understanding what they like, what they look for character-wise, trait-wise, and getting a feel for the scouting department, too. Their process. So, okay, that puts you in better shape. You have now another free agent class Mm -hmm. that you were referencing. And you have another group of UDFAs that you're bringing in. So, you know, this is a much more substantive position in terms of evaluating talent and say, hey, let's throw these five guys out, let the best man win. Where maybe last season, not to say you didn't have competition, but you didn't go maybe four or five deep in that competition at every single position. So that's where I see a distinct difference between the offseason of last year versus the offseason of this year. Well, we've already talked about the competition that's going to be in in the secondary, at wide receiver, at tight end. At defensive line, there's going to be competition at uh, at the offensive line as well. Yeah, I can't tell you with a hundred percent certainty who the nine, let's just say nine offensive linemen are going to be on the fifty-three. I think I've got a decent idea, but I can't tell you for sure. You know, how about edge rusher? With the lack of durability of the edge rushers who are on that depth chart, can you say with a hundred percent certainty which one of those guys is going to stick? I don't think I could say that right now. You have you have so much competition at so many different positions with this Giants team right now that if you're the coaching staff and you're the personnel department, you have to feel tremendously better, or I don't want to say tremendously, but significantly better. Maybe that's the same word, a different analogy. Uh, but compared to last year, like you said, there were guys last year who you thought were going to be placeholders who wound up surprising you and then became actual producers. Sure. Well, this year, I'm going to be honest with you, Lance. I don't know that there are going to be any, any placeholders on this 53. The Giants, the Giants have improved themselves that much. Now, Philadelphia still has the most talent in the building, in the division. They still do. And they had a terrific draft. Okay? They lost some guys, but they also kept a bunch. I still think 
it's at this point, at this early stage of the year, you'd have to still believe that the Eagles have the most talent on the 90-man rosters that are being presented to the league today. But I have no problem telling people the Giants have the second most talent in the division. I have no problem saying that. It remains to be seen, but I don't have a problem saying that right now. I feel that good about the amount of, uh, of uh, personnel that's been brought in here and the quality of the personnel that's been brought in here. The other thing not to overlook, too, is the continuity within the division. Remember, at this time last year, we were talking about a few teams with new coaching positions. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the head coach. I'm talking about coordinator changes. So no doubt. you got a little bit more carryover this year. In not with Philly, though. To where... Well, what, yeah, well, they lost. The coordinators. Well, but keep in mind, they promoted from within on the offensive side uh, of the ball. Defense, they brought in a new guy in Sean Desai. Yeah. Their quarterback's coach is now their OC. So he was in-house. It's going to be a little different. Little sure. different. Well, I mean, you got to di- – but he knows the offense. He knows the personnel. Yes, he does. Whereas, for example, Washington brings in Eric Bieniemy. Okay, Eric Bieniemy's brand new. Yes, he Bien-Aimé is. wasn't there last yes, year. Yes, he is. That, to me, is more of a change than perhaps somebody from – Calling the plays, though, and we'll see if Sirianni allows him to do that. I don't sure. know if he's going to or not, but that could be a little bit of an adjustment. Uh, I just think that, you know, right now – there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic that the Giants will be a better team. Whether that translates to more victories, I can't tell you that today because sure. it's a tougher schedule. The logistics will be tougher. The opponents are tougher. And there's we more think. Of, there's also more of an idea of what the Giants run a little bit more based on last year, oh, too, in terms and, of the scheme being documented. And, and they're also not under the radar anymore. Yeah. You made the playoffs last year, Giants. Okay? People, people are now looking at you differently. At least your opponents are. Even if maybe the national media isn't, your opponents are going to be aware that you're in for a fight when you play Big Blue. So there, there are going to be a lot more impediments to try to keep this team down than there were last year. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate everybody tuning in. Today's episode, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. We'll be back up and running again on Tuesday, same time, 12.30 p.m. Eastern. We will continue to unravel some storylines from rookie minicamp, look at the depth chart, and later this week, the schedule will be released. So we'll have even more talking points as the offseason rolls along here on Giants.com. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to our team website for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Tuesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26th. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details.